would be in. My text in here. Mm. I want to talk um, a little tonight, um, following on from uh, uh, a broadcast that was on Radio National last Wednesday that I happened to just accidentally hear during my lunch hour, which was on love and compassion in Buddhism. And uh, Kerry Stewart is the producer of it. She's an old friend of mine in the Sydney Zen Centre who's an ABC radio producer. And they interviewed a, a number of people, in particular um, uh, Sabana, I think many of you know, who's the teacher of the Sydney Zen Centre, who I thought gave a, a, an excellent presentation on it, as well as some, um, a, a Theravada monk and nun, and also um, uh, a man that, uh, a monk that you've mentioned before, Mark, the, the guy who's on Suicide Girls. Um, website. It was very good, actually, too. Um, and uh, some of the comments I found odd, and some of them I found very meaningful, particularly Sabana's. Um, but as a bit of background to it, there were, there, it, it was emphasising love and compassion, but also love in terms of uh, sexual love uh, was very much a part of the topic as well. And um, as I've commented um, in many workshops I've run on uh, relationships in Buddhism, um, I've often started off commenting that um, it, it's very strange and almost a little bit spooky that Buddhists never talk about sex. Mm -hmm. They never talk about sex. wonder why. Mm -hmm. Very odd. Even the Catholics talk about sex, you know, about not to do it. But the Buddhists don't even talk about sex. And um, it's almost as like there's something, some kind of taboo about it. Um, and uh, uh, there's a very excellent book. I've only uh, seen one, one book which deals with sexuality and Buddhism, which is written by John Stevens, who's an American who lived in Japan for a long time. Uh, and it's called Lust for Enlightenment. I particularly like the title, but I, I like the book and it's, it's very well researched. But he explores um, the different <coughs> attitudes towards sexuality across different cultures in Buddhism. And of course, everyone's taken originally the ideal from um, the Buddha, you know, who, uh, as John Stevens um, uh, describes in quite a lot of detail, and I think he enjoyed it, you know, that the, the Buddha had quite a rich and varied sexual life before he actually became celibate. And, uh, but then everyone's kind of followed that lead of celibacy and, and leaving home and leaving the family and leaving his wife as, and the children as a kind of ideal to, to look up to. Um, and that's very much a part of the, the uh, Theravada tradition which follows that ideal and within that kind of those circles of Dharma you, you find a view that, um, that, that monastic life is um, spiritually superior to, to family life or to lay life. And as it moves east, you know, through Tibet, Tibetans had a more of an interesting take on it and took up um, Tantra, which is not just about sex but it includes 
using sexual energy. So they, they became sort of, uh, there are aspects of Tibetan Buddhism um, which followed the, the monastic path, but, but also there were um, other paths um, which followed um, using sexual energy as, as spiritual practice and as, and as a way of just normalizing it. Then when I went to China, it was kind of became, you find very mixed views about inner literature. Either it's just not talked about before at, at all, or it's talked about as just being a normal part of life, but it, and it's referred to as the red, red thread thing. Um, and then when, it went, when um, Buddhism came to, to Japan, the Japanese took up a very different attitude um, about it because um, Buddhism had, had and has um, a very deep influence on, on um, Japanese culture. But the one thing they couldn't abide was celibacy. Mm -hmm. And so in, in Japanese Buddhism, and say in Japanese Zen, um, you find quite an openness about sexuality. And a lot of the, the monks, uh, a lot of the priests, um, most of the priests are married, particularly in, in the Zen tradition. So this sort of black and white distinction between celibate monastics and sexually active lay people, it breaks down a lot within um, Japanese culture. And when you look at how um, Buddhism has come to the West, the vast majority of, of, of Dharma practitioners are lay people. Um, so they're in a family life, they're sexually active to one degree or another. And while there's a monastic strand of celibacy, it's very much within the minority. Um, and so we've taken on more like the Japanese perspective of it rather than so much a Theravada perspective on, on sexuality. Um, my own view on it is that um, they're, both, um, they're both valid ways um, of of living a life and I wouldn't want to put a position of um, a, a value of, of superiority or inferiority onto either of them. But often the way that um, sexuality is viewed and celibacy is viewed across all religions, um, it really needs to be put in its perspective because um, really what the main game is in Buddhism is the cultivation of love and compassion and joy and equanimity. Um, whether being celibate helps you to develop that or whether being sexually active and involved in family life helps you to develop that is really what the main issue is. Not whether you're celibate or whether you're sexually active. That's not the main game. The sense of intimacy with life is really uh, coming back to that deep sense of intimacy is really what the main game is. So, um, uh, most, whether people are conscious of it or not, all kind of sexual sexuality um, is a movement to connect with the other in some way. So it may be a sort of, it might be a very, um, basic drive that's driven towards um, connection and intimacy, but that's what its movement is. It moves you out of yourself into connection with the other. And um, 
at its deepest level, it brings um, a deep sense of intimacy with that experience. But whether people kind of know it or not, most sexual activity is driving people towards some sense of, of, of intimacy with life. Whether they actually achieve it through that or not is another matter. Um, through doing a lot of relationship counselling, couple counselling with people of, you know, young people and middle-aged people and older people, you get sort of a, a, a cross-section of people you see in different views about sexuality. And my take on it with younger people is that it, with it being sort of much freer than what it was, you know, in, in our generation growing up or our parents' generation, it kind of looks like it's more intimate. But in fact, what I'm sensing, and I'm getting the feedback from people as I, I talk about it, it's actually a kind of avoidance of intimacy in the true sense of the word. Um, it's trying to create a really quick connection physically but it actually is not necessarily creating any kind of emotional connection or heart connection or self-disclosure or vulnerability. Um, and uh, it kind of bypasses it. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get the, the two connected there, sexuality with this sort of deep sense of heart-to-heart -heart connection and intimacy is where, where we find it the most... Um, Fulfilling. Um, I must say I found some of the comments by, um, by some of the celibate people odd. Um, maybe it's just my bias. But um, the idea of um, that in Buddhism you, you get to love yourself completely, so why do you need another person to love you? But to me, um, love is something which is um, outwardly directed. Um, it has that, that sort of outward, outward um, movement of generosity you know, and connection with the other. It's not just a connection with yourself. So for it to be, to, to love yourself completely in an unconditional way is a wonderful thing. But if it only is about yourself and it's not about your intimate connection with all of life, then it's rather also one of the comments that kind of jarred with me too was a monk talking about how um, he's never fallen in love with anyone ever since he became a monk. And I find that actually contrasts a lot with my own experience. The more I, I practice, the more I fall in love with people. Mm -hmm. And I like falling in love with people. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I act inappropriately on, on it, but that kind of that kind of, ah, do you know that person? You know, you get to know people more and more. I actually enjoy falling in love with people and I have to do it more often. A little um, poem to come back to, which is a very mischievous little poem, which was written by a woman who's a Zen student many years ago, which I collected and it's going to be part of my book on part of my chapter on sexuality in the book I'm writing. And it's by Judith Lay. And it's called The Layman's Lament. Shame on you, Shakyamuni, for setting the precedent of leaving home. Did you think that you had to go elsewhere to find it? 
Did you think it was not there in your wife's lovely face or your baby's laughter? I'm here to remind you, dear sir, that you need not step even one sixteenth of an inch away. Stay here, elbows dripping with soapy water. Stay here with baby spit all over your chest. Stay here, stream rising in lazy curls of wheat. Poor Shakyamuni, sitting under the bow tree miles away from home. Venus shone all the while.